Welcome back to Bike Race Weekly. I am your host, Ryan Gerard, and I'm here with my co-host, Rick Grunewald. We are back with another episode. Um, this week, we thought we would start uh, off the crit season, I guess. Yes. the I would say it's the official start to the USA Crits in-season calendar. So we had round one at El Paso, and there was actually... A prior round that was the Birmingham Hammerfest, but technically that's considered a preseason race. So this is really the, the start of the the crit, um, the USA Crit series. So before we start, I think it's uh, we should plug the the series. You can go watch all these crit races uh, at what is it called USA Crit USA Crits TV. I believe it's $15 for access, and I don't believe that's a recurring payment. I think that's just like a one-time or a yearly fee, but it's definitely worth the money. You get access to all of the live streams of all of the crit races on the USA Crit calendar, and even some uh, crits and other races throughout the year that aren't on the USA Crits calendar. And then you can also go back and you can watch the uploaded footage on USA Crits TV. So there's video on demand, there's live streaming. If you're into crit racing, it's definitely uh, worth the money to you know pay $15 for the for the pass. Frankie Andreu does all of the announcing, I believe, on the USA Crit series, or at least most of the series. Yep. So you've got uh, uh, you know some really really high quality announcing on the races, and yeah, it's definitely a really cool thing. Yeah, we watched the first one today. It was a 85 minute crit. Yep. Uh, a little bit shorter than like a toad race would be. About five minutes, you know, a 90 minute crit, 85 minute crit. Yep. The difference though between uh, this and like toad is toad is open to all uh, professionals, cat ones and cat twos. Mm-hmm. And it's more of an elite field rather than yeah. like a high level cat one field. Right. Uh, what they do for USA crits is only what they call D1. Yes. So it's a select number of teams that or are only allowed to do this. So every single race is the same teams participating. Which is a really great idea. I think we actually had that criticism last year of the USA yeah. Crit Series. is because you would have a bunch of riders and teams come in that would do super well. And they would sometimes win the race. And it made it hard to follow the series when you had all of these these riders and teams kind of going in and out. I think Holowesco Citadel was actually the highest ranked team in the USA Crit Series last year for the first maybe half the season with John Murphy winning the first couple races. And then they kind of fell off the map as they went over to some European road racing and then focused on some of the higher profile stage racing in the United States. So it's nice to see that they've kind of locked it down to you know, we are a legit series. These are the teams. You can follow them. And it makes watching and following the series much more enjoyable. Yeah, you know, and another thing is, like, we're going to Gateway Cup again this year. Or at least I hope so. Mm-hmm. Um, these All these teams will be there. So if you're following it throughout the season, you and then you go to a race like Gateway Cup, and it's those same guys that you that you watch all, all, all season. Yeah, it's really, it is really cool. And especially because they travel throughout the United States, you know, it truly is like a national series. There's Cal- there's races spanning from, uh, you know, California to the East Coast, you know, and, and north and south of, uh, of, you know, or, you know, the northern and southern parts of the United States, too. So no matter where you are, I mean, I think I think a lot of people are in relatively close proximity to, to one of these races. Yeah, we had the pleasure last year of sitting down with the Cliff Bar team who are participants in this. Uh, last year they won. They had the they were, top, the, they were the top team yeah. and they had the, the the first place rider. They actually so they were the top ranked team last year. They won the team's classification and they had the, the so they had the second place rider. Second place. Uh, David Gunplan won last year. Okay. So uh um, this year, you know, Gunplan and Gunplan coaching are again in the USA Crit series. So he was, uh, you know, David Gutenplan and Tyler Locke were again, uh, you know, seen at this race. So it's cool to see them, you know, uh, trying to vie for a, a second title. So that's definitely awesome. But yeah, so Ryan, how about we jump into the racing? Okay. Or is there anything else that you want to talk about before we get into it? Why don't we start off with the, the teams that are racing? For sure. That's a great idea. Um, so like we mentioned before, the USA Crit Series is actually... Um, so there's there's a there's a list of specific teams 
that you can follow within the series. And you can find out all this information on usacrits.tv. Uh, well, it's actually usacrits.com, and then they have a section called uh, 2019 D1 Teams. Um, so I guess, yeah, we can kind of start going through. Uh, we've got uh, Evolo Cycling, uh, Arapaho Resources, Automatic Racing. Um, actually, it's Arapaho Hincapie, excuse me. Uh, Butcher Box. We've got um, Legion, which is actually, that was the team of Justin and Corey Williams, I believe. The Legion Cycling Team. Legion. Oh, okay. Yep. So it's not Rapa Cycling Club? Um... No, I believe it's Legion Los Angeles. Huh. I might be mistaken on that, but I believe that's their team because we did see the their team in. They the did US have the Rafa Cycling Club, but now that we're talking about it, yes, it, I don't think they were on the list of D one teams. So, so this is their team. Yep, looking at the roster, uh, that's Justin Williams, who is the current national crit champion and road race champion. and road race champion. Uh, Corey Williams, uh, Diego, who's his brother. Yep. Uh, Benetana, uh, Hunter Grove, Dante Young, Sean McElroy, and Angel Munoz. If you don't know who Justin Williams or, or Munoz, uh, sorry, I'm not very good at pronouncing names. Justin and uh, what was his name? Corey. Corey Williams. Corey yeah. Williams. Go look up Nation's Number One Beast on YouTube. Yes. That's where they put up all their race footage. They are insane crit racers. Yeah, pretty pretty awesome stuff. Very cool to watch. Very very talented guys so it's definitely worth a trip over to youtube to check out some of those check out some of those videos um so aside from the, the guys that are the the men's teams that i currently listed uh we also have the mark pro cycling team we have uh palmetto state medical cycling team we have uh texas roadhouse cliff bar cycling um support clean sport that's uh david gutton plans team and I believe that is all of the D1 guys teams. And I might be missing some. I'm kind of going off the USA Crits website. They just list all the D1 teams. They actually don't list whether they're uh, male or female or, or both. So I'm pretty sure that's all the teams for now. Okay. So, yeah. So let's jump into it. Let's jump into um, it. Do we want to talk about the race first or like our pros and cons of the the whole the experience. The experience. Let's talk about the race first. Okay. I think yeah. Let's go over the first race. So, really interesting start to the race. Um, the El Paso race was, I would say, typical four corner criterium. Yeah. I think they did fifty five laps. Fifty five laps. The, there was a bit of a kind of like a left right hook into the finishing stretch. Not yeah. really a chicane. You yeah, you wouldn't call it a chicane, but it, chicane. it was like a. Like it was like it was almost like an a chicane, yeah, kind of like an estern. It was almost yep. a chicane, but you couldn't really call it a chicane. It, it seemed pretty flat for the most part. Yeah, so but it, it was, was it was windy. D- yeah, definitely a high speed course. But you're right, Ryan. It was super windy. You could see from the live stream any banners were just blowing. Trees were really blowing, and I think that was evident by the first five minutes of the race. So you want to break down what happened in just kind of the opening laps of the race? Well, the I think the big thing in the first opening laps is Justin Williams' first lap of the race goes off on his right. own. You know, undoubtedly the best sprinter in that field. And I think literally like minutes before he did that, we were both talking about, yeah, Justin Williams isn't going to do anything until the sprint. Right, yeah. He's looking, the only thing he's looking for is a sprint. Right. Takes a flyer right off the front of that race. Within the first lap, and I think most of the field kind of sat up because they were really confused, not sure what was going on. But that race was so windy and so hard that when the effort or when the group started to uh, work together to pull him back, the pace really got super high, and you could see the field breaking apart. So all of a sudden, we had three separate groups kind of fragmenting due to the super high pace of the chase. Yeah. And Justin Williams, I mean, at one point there were eight riders off the front, Justin Williams included within the first five laps. And that looked like a super strong move. And I, I and with how bad, uh, you know, the field had been fragmenting, I thought that there was a slight chance that that might've actually stuck and they could have lapped the field. I think the only issue with that is that I think every single team saw that Justin Williams was in that breakaway with eight guys. Yes. So, I mean, we were talking before, at least four guys in that eight-guy breakaway are probably not going to work. For sure. Especially Honestly, that, probably especially that early guys. in the race. They just wanted to make sure that they were near the front. Yeah. Not not getting shelled from 
from the chaotic uh, the the chaotic pace in that kind of wind. Yeah, I don't think any of those guys though are going to try to get into a breakaway with Justin Williams. No, I mean that's that's essentially just racing for second place. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So eventually that move came back together and the field kind of settled down. But you could immediately see riders getting shelled off the back. I mean, first, second, third lap, you, you could see riders starting to, to have to pull off and, uh, you know, getting lapped by the pace car, pulling out of the race. So I think that's a testament to how hard the first part of this race was. Oh, yeah. Yeah, super intense. And then we also saw a couple riders uh, towards the front of the race, you know, just driving the pace. They're taking advantage of that wind. I know Gibbons from Automatic Racing, you could see him towards the front for a couple laps, all black kit, just trying to put the hammer down, keep everything super strung out. And that's really what it was, super strung out for the first better part of that race, actually. And then probably with it around lap with 41 laps remaining, eight riders get off the front. Um, and this looks like a pretty good move. They've got a couple a couple different teams represented in that breakaway, but uh, the bunch quickly organizes, pulls everything back together, and then once it's back together, about three laps later, the act the the race winning move is made, and that's by Colin Strickland and Stefan Roth. Yeah, that was a big move. That was big the move. move. Yep. So that's about at a lap thirty eight, and I guess. Might have given away a little bit too much information on that statement, but it was uh, it was the chain of events that led to the winning move. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, with uh, that was probably what would you say almost halfway through the race. Yeah, uh, about thirty eight laps remaining. Yeah, so that's a big move though for a four corner, essentially a four corner crit to get off the front halfway through the race and yep. then hold it. Yeah, Colin Strickland was definitely taking advantage of how hard that race was. And that's definitely somebody with a huge motor, and he did the perfect counterattack. He could tell right when that dangerous move was roped in, and it was roped in relatively relatively quickly because of how how uh, much horsepower was in that move. You know, right when everything kind of came back together, he just made his move, just right mm-hmm. off the front. One rider from Elbows Racing came with him, uh, Stefan Roth, I believe is how you spelled yes. his name, Stefan Roth, and yeah, that was kind of. Uh, that was kind of the biggest move I think so far we'd seen in that race. So then, um, about one lap later, we started to see some more action happening from the field. We see, uh, you know, one of the Malervi brothers bridging up with another uh, Cliff Bar rider and a Butcher Box rider and an Elbows Racing rider. So that's definitely a solid bridge because one of the Malervi brothers can always be found in the breakaway, and. Yeah, I guess with with that move, we kind of had now your two your two breakaway companions with Strickland and Roth. We had a four man chase group, and then we had the field back there. Yeah. So at that point, though, um, I think this kind of stands to why I personally think why having only a certain number of teams is actually a really good idea because mm-hmm. now there's five teams represented in the breakaway and not like a single big sprinter. You could argue that. Uh, Malervi being in there is pretty dangerous. I'm mm-hmm. kind of surprised that another team didn't try to bring that back right away because of, you know, he, they're pretty high caliber when it comes to crit racing. I think it's pretty well known. Yeah, I, I'd agree. I would say one reason why it's not so much that they couldn't bring him back, but I don't think they could bring him back. Or they, not that they didn't want to, but they couldn't. So you had Malervi, another Cliff Bar rider, so those are two strong riders. You had a butcher box rider, so that shut down their their willingness to chase in the main group. And then you also had an elbows racing rider. And elbows racing now has two guys in the front. They have one guy in the front group, one guy in the chase group. They're definitely not going to be chasing. Mm-hmm. So then after that, because we still have quite a few teams back in the field that aren't represented in that move, you have another five riders bridging to the Malerby group. So now you've got almost ten riders, and four of those riders are Cliff Bar. And they're 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 making it into that second chase group. Yeah, and I think what broke up that chase group was all those guys saw that there were two Cliff Bar riders there, and you could tell all of them all at once just gave up and said, "You guys got to pull." And as soon as they said, right. as, as soon as those two came to the front, they're kind of like, "Well, we're not going to pull. We have someone up there." And I think that was the moment where that right. that breakaway just 
was done. Absolutely. So now you nobody's going to pull up two more Cliff Bar guys to the five the five man breakaway. Exactly. So now once they make contact with the Malervi group, and then the uh, you know so you've got this big ten person chase group four of which are Cliff Briders. Uh, you know the the breakaway companions have no incentive to to help out. I mean that's essentially pretty much their entire team in a single breakaway. And I think Cliff Bar knows this quite well as they probably take a couple pulls through the lap, maintain their gap, and then we see Mullervy attack out of that chase group, and he brings along with him Tyler Stikes of Evolo Cycling, and they continue to bridge and actually make it up to the um, Colin Strickland and Stefan Roth group. Mm-hmm. So now we've got a breakaway of four people, and they've got a pretty good gap on the field. You've got two break for sure breakaway specialists in that group, and this is only like... 50 minutes into the race we've still got like you know over 40 minutes left you know i gotta say um i think this first race kind of goes to show that i think a lot of these crit races are going to start being uh breakaway heavy i think you're right the fact that we have so many teams now or not so many teams but we have so many well-represented teams in these Mm -hmm. races uh, the teams that can kind of, you know, they see each other every every week or every other week now at these national level races. I think that there's going to be a lot more, uh, you know, team dynamics play out. I'd almost like to we say saw. organization. Yeah. It, it's sure. kind of like, I want to compare it to like a world tour race where it's kind of like they want the right mixture of riders, mm-hmm. but they also kind of know who the riders are. And, yeah. You know, when you have. You know, in like a classic yeah. though, it, towards the end of the race, all the big guys are going to get into a breakaway together. Yeah, exactly. And I think, yeah, you're, you kind of hit the nail on the head there, Ryan. And especially now, like what we talked about earlier, where pretty much every every person in this race is on a team, right? So if you have somebody in the breakaway, if the right composition gets away, I mean, it, it's almost guaranteed that this breakaway is going to slip off the front. So... You like we said. So now we have Cliff Bar in the breakaway. We have Avolo cycling in the breakaway. We have Elbows racing in the breakaway, and we have Colin Strickland in the breakaway. Um, so you know those three teams that were that I listed in the beginning. You know those are three of the major teams that are that are represented in the race. They, uh, you know, they're they're really gonna have a a challenging time. Um, you know, all the other teams I guess are gonna have a hard time convincing those three teams to help chase. So those teams are basically are basically neutralized when it comes to bringing the breakaway back. You know, I think that really showed too when other teams that weren't represented, they'd try to get to the front, and maybe they'd have like two people, mm-hmm. but that third person's going to be like a Cliff Bar guy or one of the other teammates, you know, and all of a sudden it's just stopped. That front, like 20 guys, were almost dominated by those few top teams. So it was almost hard to get someone to the front to start a chase. Because then it would just get shut down once those few riders pulled off. Yeah, exactly. I couldn't, couldn't agree with that more. And we definitely saw that, you know, like Butcher Box Racing, they they tried to pull the breakaway back. I think they only had maybe uh, two to four guys in this race. It seemed like they were doing all they could to, to try to rope everybody back in, but they just weren't able to make it happen. Um, you know, they really couldn't get anybody else to chase. I think Texas Roadhouse really... They were hurting. They were at the back. Um, Texas Roadhouse, I think, used a lot of bullets early on in the race. They were well represented in some of the early moves, and I think that really spent a lot of their energy. They just didn't seem to have the uh, the ambition to chase the breakaway down. Mm-hmm. They might have not thought that they, they could pull it back into. Who knows? Um, I think I saw one uh, Texas Roadhouse guy at the front, honestly. And then even in the last few laps, I think the last four or five guys in the race were right. Texas Roadhouse guys. Let's talk about how demoralizing the cliff bar, bl- cliff bar blocking was, though, in that race. That is, honestly, that is, because I was going to bring this up, too, right. is I think that just goes to show when you have, like, a pure, like, crit team that is just has so much experience across the board that it's like they know exactly what to do in that situation and they do it so well and i think that's why they do so well at races honestly yeah i mean it was it was you know poor poor butcher box guys you know they'd have like two of the guys just drilling it on the front right behind them you'd have you know three cliff bar guys just chilling you know right when they pull off expecting somebody to pull through and 
take up the chase. You've got, you know, some guys like, you know, Zach Allison just on the front soft pedaling, you know, you know, keeping the pace high enough to where, you know, we're not just like sitting, he's not just sitting there, but, you know, not fast enough to even, even remotely chase down the breakaway. And that's got to be, you know, so demoralizing. And I'd, I'd probably lump in a Volo cycling too with that. I know they had one, two other riders that was kind of doing the same thing where they would just sit in the pace line. And once the chase, once the person on the front put an effort in, they would just, you know, it'd be their turn to pull through. They pull through and just kind of sit up a little bit. Yeah, you know, I don't think their fitness is necessarily better than anyone else either. I think they're just working smarter, not harder. For sure, those are that's definitely a, a squad of, of guys that know what they're doing. They're all very experienced, and you can definitely see that um, from the way they race and and how well they work as a team too. So that was definitely a uh, that was definitely a team effort on the Cliff Bar on the Cliff Bar guys win. So what what happens next? What at what point did the butcher box guy get dropped from the lead group? So the breakaway butcher box was never wasn't that like that ten man chase chase oh, group? Okay. So the four man the four man established breakaway that was that was made probably a little later than halfway through the race. So they never made it to the, the okay. lead breakaway. Um, you know, because for a while butcher box did have somebody in in that initial or that that chasing move, but. So later on in the race, now we're we're down to so this was pretty much this was the story of the entire race. I mean, mm-hmm. this four man breakaway went to the line, and on the last lap, you have Colin Strickland. Uh, you know, I think he was on the front with one to go. He, based on the live stream, couldn't see if he tried to put an effort in. I don't think he did. I think he was trying to just kind of get to the back of that group. Tyler Tyler Stikes put the put kind of like a, a late or yeah kind of a late attack in before the line so you saw him coming through first wheel in the last two corners and then closely behind him was Kevin Mullerby and then behind him was Stefan Roth and then right after that first corner you see Kevin Mullerby pull off and then get him by I mean a very 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 small margin at the line so uh, Kevin Mullerby of Cliff Bar Cycling for the win yeah, and uh, during that though, I was actually watching Colin Strickland. Um, he came into it like fourth wheel, but in that turn, came on the inside of Stephen Roth and actually pushed him out into the barrier, which forced him to grab his brakes, which which secured um, Colin Strickland taking third. Oh, okay, interesting. I didn't yeah. catch that part of it. Yeah, so <laughs> watching it, you could definitely tell that Colin Strickland tried to be there, but I think he was caught off guard in that last second. Mm-hmm. And then saw his opportunity to at least make the podium and took it. Mm, I see. I see. Yeah, Colin Strickland's not really known to be much of a sprinter. He's more of a breakaway guy. So he he gen- his general he seems to generally be be more in favor of trying to put like a late attack in. And it didn't quite seem to work for him this time. His third is super respectable though, and he pretty much drove the breakaway the entire race. You know, established the breakaway and held on for the for third place. So. Good on him. Overall, it was a super exciting race to watch, and yeah, looking forward to the uh, the next USA. When's crit. the next one? The next USA crit. I'm looking it up right now. And also too, so we didn't have time this week to watch the women's event. I think in the future we're gonna start covering some of the women's races too, watching those, and we're also gonna do like a summary. So we'll probably do like the men's race and the women's race, but for this week, just the men's race. Um, yeah. So for, and again, that's on. You can go watch these on usacrits.tv. Yeah. Uh, it is a membership. The I think what is pretty cool actually, because I was checking out the website today, they actually break down what what that like the money that you pay to watch mm-hmm. these crits, what it actually goes towards, and it's mainly to promote crit racing in the U.S. Because right. I think crit racing is very um, niche to the world of cycling. But it's kind of something that the U.S. is making its own. Yeah, and they use this money to put on a really, really good live stream. Um, you know, to set up these events, they're they're definitely bigger productions than your average crit race. Mm-hmm. But the next USA Crits race is actually going to be one of the marquee events of the year, which is Athens Twilight, which is going to be April twenty seventh, and that is the um, USA Crits race number two, stopping in Athens, Georgia. So, I'm excited about that one. Oh, that is, I think, one of the best crit races to watch. Of Any, the year. Anybody interested in crit racing should definitely tune into that one. Um, you know, just kind of like a, a quick rundown of the next couple of weeks, too. After Athens, at the end of May, we're looking at the Winston-Salem Cycling Classic. 
And then the first week of June, we've got the infamous Tulsa, the St. Francis Tulsa Tough in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So the next two months of crit racing are going to be pretty outstanding, and I'm super excited to watch some more of it. Yeah, to be honest, I was very surprised by the the quality of the videos and how much I actually enjoyed watching it. Yeah, the the live stream was quite good. Yeah, which actually brings us to our next topic. We're gonna we're gonna talk break down about the, the live experience. stream. Yeah, the experience of watching one of these USA Crit events, which I've I think I've seen. A, I saw a couple last year. So was it better, worse, or the same? I think. For the most part, if I rem- if I remember correctly, it was pretty similar. They sometimes vary from venue to venue. Sometimes the live stream was really good, and sometimes the live stream was not as good. I would say this time, for the most part, it was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Pretty good, would you say? Yeah, yeah. I yeah. would say 95% of the time, pretty good. 95% of the time, it was pretty good. I think for 95% of the race, the camera, the camera operators knew what they should be shooting and what to shoot. Yes. Um, I think one of my only complaints is that sometimes, especially when there's lapped riders, the camera operators don't, or I don't know who's, I don't know how cameras and this kind of stuff works, but they weren't really covering the the lead breakaway very well in the last yeah. couple of laps. And especially on the last lap, they had a finish line cam which should have been utilized for the breakaway, which which, which wasn't. wasn't. Why don't we Why don't we stop right there? Yeah, and just go, go pros cons. For, for keep sure. Yes. Yeah. Do you want to start with the cons first? Or, well, let's start with the cons first because we're already there. The cons first. Yeah. I, the biggest uh, one. The the biggest, biggest one. The biggest one was the end of the race. So the end of the race. They just did not get the 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 capturing like the lead breakaway very well. Yeah. What's break it down? So in so, the last probably the last half lap. Probably the last half lap. They kept panning to lapped riders. Yeah. You know, I'm sure the, the job of the operator is just to follow whatever riders in front of them. Mm-hmm. But what happened was a lapped rider was like a couple hundred feet in front of the breakaway. So it was following yeah. that rider through the, through the corners, not really following the actual winning breakaway. So one, once it panned to the winning breakaway, it was about with like 150 meters to go on mm-hmm. the last corner. And then, so we missed almost the entire last lap. We missed almost the entire last lap. We saw the finish, but we saw it from the back side of the, the back. of the finishing yeah. stretch. So it was. I mean, the only reason that we know who won from that view was uh, Kevin Miller. We put his hands up. Yep. So aside from that, um, it wasn't super awesome and experience then, in the last lap. Go yeah, ahead, and right. then after that, when uh, the group, the big, the peloton came through, mm-hmm. they actually switched to the finish line cam, which they should have used for the the breakaway as well, where we right. saw Justin Williams win the sprint for fourth or for fifth place. But then after about halfway through the peloton was when they brought up the overhead cam of like the finish line mm-hmm. to show how close it was which would have been much better to use which would have been cool if it wasn't showing 30th place correct correct yeah so i I don't know about you ryan i think that was my main gripe with yeah oh and and i guess one other thing so we weren't watching the actual live stream but we were watching a replay and the audio is slightly in front of the video yes there's a lag about four or five second lag and you know i like i like like the surprise of the last lap and the anticipation of who's actually going to come first to the line yeah and you could hear frankie andreu actually announcing like oh like x you know like kevin takes the win before they're actually yeah while you're still watching sprint right and when it's such a close race like this race it would be nice to kind of have that like that like surprise i guess like does he actually win instead of knowing like five seconds ahead before he pulls in front of the other person's wheel that he actually wins i was actually a little confused personally because uh they like immediately went to like the interview and they're going oh it was so close you barely had it but then it's kind of like 10 seconds seconds ago you were just saying like way before the finish line that he had already won yeah i was like what happened and that was kind of when we figured out oh there's a there's a lag there yeah but i i i think that was pretty much the most um you know the 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 worst the worst stuff about it in Mm -hmm. general i think the live stream was actually very good i think it was well done i think um the coverage of the race was was good i mean Mm -hmm. overall i mean we kind of griped on those little things for a while 
but I was happy with it. You know, like we said, ninety five percent of it was was solid. Yeah, I mean, for the uh, technical aspect, I think a few things that they could do is get a more um, like direct line for like the microphones. Mm-hmm. Uh, take out a lot of that background noise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's something they could do. You can definitely tell this is they do the best they can with the equipment that they have. For sure. I mean, this is you know crit racing in the U.S. There's not going to be a, a world tour budget. You know. Of course. Um, I think if they could somehow manage to get like a drone, that would be oh, really that cool. That would be really cool. I think yeah. that that would be tough because it's dangerous. Yeah. We also talked about how it would be nice if they had like some kind of GoPro footage in the race too. Maybe not, mm-hmm. maybe not live streaming that, but like they put what they do is they put these um, these live streams up later to view on demand. And it'd be cool if they did like a little like maybe a ten minute quick edit of like the highlights of the race as seen from maybe one or two GoPros. Yeah. Again, these are kind of like like wishy things that would be cool. But I think it would add to the overall experience and, and the value, too, you know, of, of buying a USA Crits membership. Yeah, and I don't think doing the GoPro footage would be, like, that's that's a thing that I don't think they would have to put much effort towards. Uh, they could definitely get, like, a sponsorship from GoPro if they reached out. I think Even so. if it was yeah. just, like, five GoPros. You know, I mean, it doesn't have to be a lot. I mean, well, yeah, and if, if Corey Williams is in the race, I guess he could always go to Nation Number 1 Beast yeah. uh, YouTube page and you'll find you know which race that I was at and he always does a really nice job of like cutting together the video mm-hmm. and making a really nice uh, presentation of the race essentially yeah or they could even use that GoPro footage as like a free preview of the races like hey right uh, put that on YouTube put it all over the place so people that do race crits can see that and then it's like come help you know promote cycling by buying this live feed thing and watch all the crit races all of a sudden, you kind of build an audience like that. Yeah, I totally agree. Totally agree. All right, is there anything else that you wish was different? About uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So on on the actual live stream, they were showing the riders. Yeah, yeah. But we didn't know what team it was. There was a right. few times where it was like we saw two Cliff Bar riders. We knew that Malervi um, was one of them, but we were like, "Who's the other one?" Mm-hmm. We were talking about if they could put like the team name. Yeah. Next to the rider name, that would help out a lot. And they had a or lot even, of real estate at the top there right, where they could definitely they put it there. And then also they had uh, they had like times behind the leader, but they didn't have like a lap time. Which so I think they should definitely so like they have they have the top ten riders that cross the finish line mm-hmm. and they have the first person and then it goes like minus 0.1 seconds minus 0.15 seconds all the way out to 10th place mm-hmm. but they don't have like the lap time right that'd be cool if they had like the lap time as the first place person and then the amount of time behind each one because yep. i kind of thought that'd be kind of cool to watch how fast each lap is because you can't see a mile per hour thing right but if you could see most laps were a minute 35 and then the last lap was a minute 15 like that that's like whoa they were going super fast that last lap yeah it would be very cool i definitely agree with that ryan or even some, um, I mean, this is kind of getting into the more expensive area, but like power overlays, heart rate, you know, oh, like miles some, per hour. Stuff like Bellon does with some of the World Tour. Yeah. yeah. I think I think that is like the kind of like the... That's like definitely the, the wish list, right? Yeah, that's that on a wish like list. doing it like 100, 120%. But um, things like lap time and putting name, like the team names, yeah. that's, that's, that, I, that's just a I, little tweak. I think the team names for sure, and I think the lap times. I don't. I think that's probably doable. I guess because they're already tracking. They're lap already times. tracking the numbers yeah. or the gap to the breakaway. I the think gap to the breakaway. Showing that more constantly would be nice. Yeah, these are again like overall super happy with the feed, but these are just things that I think we well we both think would make little things a that little bit would better. make a, a difference. Huge difference, actually. Yeah, yeah. All right, cool. So pros, pros, pros about. Oh, we kind of talked about the pros. Yeah, I guess we did. Yeah, let's talk about big pros. So I think I think a huge thing was showing the the laps, mm-hmm. and also showing the riders' names of the top ten riders crossing the finish line. Because a sure. lot of the times the biggest names were within those top ten. Definitely. So you can keep track of where they are if you can't see them. Agreed. So I thought that was really cool. I think Frankie Andreu as the announcer is definitely a big pro. Somebody that has a ton of cycling knowledge and experience. And has a knack for, you know, just being able to talk through the race and clearly explain what's going on is super helpful. So 
definitely a pro mm-hmm. having him as the announcer on the live stream. I think that made a huge difference. Absolutely. Huge difference. Yeah. Um, besides that, honestly, like, the actual footage was pretty good. They had the mm-hmm. cameras on, like, each corner. Yep. And then they, they would pan across the corners. Like, they're not yeah. just it didn't really, static cameras. It didn't they really actually have, move. Yep. It didn't really have any dead space. So yeah. So that was good. Yeah. I mean, there was I one think, spot, like, uh, through that S-curve that was a little bit of a dead spot. Yeah, yeah. But if they did it right, it was only, like, a second or two. So it wasn't really bad at all. Overall, pretty good. Pretty Overall, good. it was a really good coverage. Yeah. Super happy with it. Well, all right. I think we covered pretty much everything with uh, with USA Crits round one. Anything else you want to talk about that, Ryan? Um, USA Crits, no. But do we want to talk real quick about um, the World Tour race tomorrow? World Doors Tour race Door, uh, Oh, Doors Door Van- Vlanderen. Oh, I thought you were going to say, do we want to talk about Gent Wevelgum? Oh, we could talk about that too. Well, all right. So... While I'm looking up the start list tomorrow for Doors Door of Landerin, uh tell us a little bit about Gent Wevelgum, Brian. All right, Gent Wevelgum. Uh, I think the biggest thing was uh, 20 kilometers out, a group of four or five big names uh, Matteo Trenton, Peter Sagan, um, Stednek Stebar, I think, was in it. Uh, was this the breakaway that got caught? Oh, uh, Steve was not in the breakaway. Okay. So early, so early on in the race, I guess not really early on, maybe close to closer to halfway through the race, we had a, a pretty big group of riders get off the front. Uh, Quickstep missed the breakaway, or I think they had one, possibly one rider in the breakaway, but I think it was it was one of their helpers, so it wasn't really a, a race winning rider for sure. We had like the likes of uh, Peter Sagan. Uh, Matteo Trentin, we had Wout Van Aert, um, and uh, a bunch of other uh, high-level riders in, in this breakaway. And it the what pretty much happened was it Quickstep went into you know damage control, trying to control the race. They eventually, with the help of a couple other teams, they brought back the breakaway with about 20k to go. And which is not a which good is spot for for having to control the race because they were setting up for their mm-hmm. sprinter Elia Viviani, for having to control the race that was not a great spot. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, they're trying to bring back the breakaway no matter what. But 20 k to go is prime real estate for attacks to fly before a sprint finish, and that's exactly what happened. We and had, that's especially when you cooked all your riders trying to get bring that back that uh, breakaway right and now every single rider is just flying out breakaway like breakaway attempts constantly for the next 20 kilometers i mean uh quick step just struggled controlling that after for sure that was their goal well philippe gilbert and zdnx Bar did a historic effort marking and trying to bring back the breakaways and though i mean those two guys need to get a lot of credit for for the fact that the race went down to a sprint with about I think 5k to go a really dangerous breakaway went off with I think the the highest profile rider in that breakaway is probably Mads Pedersen from Trek Segafredo who I believe got second place in the Tour of Flanders last year so he's a, a motor and they really struggled to bring them back in I think they brought him back in with about under 2k to go and then the teams pretty much lined it up for a for a knockdown drag out sprint between some of the bigger guns in that race. And Viviani ended up getting boxed in by Gaviria and Alexander Kristoff was able to uh, motor past everybody and win the bunch sprint. I think the the biggest thing here though is um, to point out that Alexander Kristoff is Gaviria's lead out guy. Yes, you're but what happened was Gaviria told Kristoff, "I don't have the legs." And so during the sprint, they actually did like a fake out. Um, Gaviria, right when Kristoff launched his sprint, Gaviria sat up. Sat up, and, and who was on Gaviria's wheel? Viv- yeah, Viviani, Viviani, and created yeah. a gap for Kristoff to just ride away from the sprinters. Yeah. And that's that's essentially how he won. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it was it was a quite a finish. I mean, I did not expect Kristoff to win that race. No. I thought it was all in for Gaviria, and the fact that Gaviria really gave it up for Kristoff was pretty cool. But, so, Gent Wevelgum, really exciting this year. We have um, tomorrow is Doors Door of Blinderin. 
Ryan, how are we doing on time? How long is this podcast? Uh, we are at 40 minutes. We just uh, all right, uh, we'll hit 40 talk minutes. Talk a little bit okay. more about some racing then. We don't want to bore you. I have thoughts about uh, Doors, Doors, Door, Vandalurn. The, that's a hard thing. The fun, I can't the say the Belgian. I fine. can't say those Belgian words. That's fine. Um, um, it's it's a race. It's a big race for a non-big like big rider to win. For sure. It's in the middle. It's between... Um, it's between Gents and Flanders. Flanders yeah. is this weekend, so it's kind of a. It's for some, it's a it's a tune-up race. For others, they didn't race um, Ghent, so they want to have a race in between then and Flanders to kind of tune themselves up. So I agree, it's kind of it's the biggest race that you'll probably not see a big name winning. Yeah, which I kind of think is cool. I do too, because then it's it may it means a lot to those guys that are typically just you know workhorses right and it's got three cobbled sections so there's definitely plenty plenty of features to break up the race i'd say it's definitely not as hard of a race as you know flanders will be but it it definitely gets broken up by the fact that it's pretty well exposed Mm -hmm. you know if there's any kind of crosswinds on the day it's really gonna like play havoc with the peloton so I was listening to uh, Lance Armstrong's podcast today. Okay. And one thing that him and George Hincappy really talked about was that pretty much all the Belgian races are going to be using like the same roads, yeah. just in a different pattern. Which is partially why Quickstep has had so much success this year. Is yeah. Because they build their team for the Belgian classics. I mean, that is their bread and butter, right? They can ride those roads really well. They know where the roads go. They know where the course is. They do their recon. They have their setups all dialed in. I mean, that team is is as as uh, professional as it gets when it comes to cobbled races or, or the cobbled classics. Yeah. And in this race, uh, the same guy, and I f- can't remember his name, but he's from Quickstep, has won this race three years in a row. Mm, okay. Three years in a row. So, who won this race last year? Maybe it's two years. It's either two year, two or three years. I'm looking up who. So they have a pretty. But I'm gonna. Um, he, he's he's gonna be my prediction this year. It's the same guy again. Four years in a row. So who? So they have a pretty uh, similar race la, or lineup as last year. I'm actually trying to look up the 2018 winner. Um. It's uh, worth saying too that Greg Van Avermaet is not racing this. Peter Sagan is not racing this. Um, Seb, Seb Van Mark from Cannondale will be racing, who I also think could do very well in this. Mm-hmm. Um, Taylor Finney from the U.S. is going to be racing. Um, and why do you think like Sagan and, and Van Avermaet are not racing this race? Uh, strictly fatigue. Fatigue? You think yeah. so? They're trying to shake it from Ghent? Yeah, and we didn't mention, but the average power for five hours for those uh, front group big guys yep. was between 300 and like 350 watts for five hours. Yeah, I think Kristoff was the highest with 345 watts, yeah. which is pretty insane for, for putting out three hours of power, I don't think, even at that level. I don't think for a big race like Flanders, you mm. risk like digging yourself a hole by racing this race only yeah. a f- few days after... Uh, the probably the the hardest race of the year, honestly, for sure. And I just looked it up. So last year's winner was uh, Eve Lampert, mm-hmm. and he actually won that race last year solo. He took a soft attack off of a group of five that uh, had Bosenhagen in it, and they all expected Bosenhagen to close the gap. And Bosenhagen looked around and said, "I'm I'm not going to do that." And yep. Eve Lampert uh, soloed to victory on that one. He will be making the start list in 2019. So I'd expect to see him at the front of the race. Um, we have Philippe Gilbert, uh, Bob Youngles. So we do have a couple of the riders that were at Gent-Webblegum. I don't know if Bob Youngles was, but um, most notably missing from the list would be Zdenek Stibar. So I think that says something about his role on the team for Flanders. I would say he's probably their their man for the job. Mm-hmm. So, any predictions on on uh, Doris Dorf Flandern, Ryan? Uh, I'm going to keep my same prediction with the, the guy who won last <coughs> year. Yeah, then my next two would be Edvel Bozenhagen. And then uh, I'm going to say Cannondale rider, Seth Van Mark. Okay. Looking at the looking at the start rep list, I'm, I'm going to go in for um, Oliver Nason. 
I think Oliver Nason has been in the lead groups on a lot of these races, yeah. and I think statistically he's got to win one eventually. He's got to win one. He's got to win one eventually. He's, he's this would be five. one for him to win. This would be one for him to win. He he doesn't have a ton. I mean, he's been the Belgian national champion. Doesn't have a lot of notable wins to his Palmares, but I think this would definitely be one that he can win for sure. A hard, windy, flat mm-hmm. stage or flat flat day, definitely. Um uh, Alejandro Valverde is going to be making an appearance in this race, which is interesting. I it is really think interesting. Valverde is such a, a. I don't think he wins. A man of many talents. I don't think he has much of a shot at winning Dwarves, but I think he might have a shot at at least making the lead group in Flanders. That last must be year, why he's racing this. Is just a for, little tune up. Yeah, yeah tune up. Yeah, I think last year we saw Nibali actually doing really well in Flanders, making the lead group on a yeah. lot of on, uh, for most of the race, and actually uh, being the the counter that Nicky Terpstra sp- uh, sprung off of in order to establish his breakaway. Mm-hmm. So. I think it's going to be a really interesting race. I'm looking forward to watching it during work tomorrow and hopefully getting some work done. <laughs> Do you know what time? time it goes off at? I'm not sure, actually. Um, looking this up here. Yeah, I'm not not exactly sure, but usually those races are pretty early in the morning. Um, usually, yeah, usually they go off American time at like 5 or 6 a.m. and they yeah. finish around 10 or 11. It's early. It's really early for sure. Um so why don't we talk quick about Flanders then? I don't know much about Flanders to be honest. You don't know I'm much uh, about Flanders. I'm just trying to keep up with everything that's going on. Flanders. So it's I guess too far away, man. We, we've got to talk about Flanders because okay. Flanders is this Sunday, and Flanders is arguably the biggest classic. Flanders is actually my favorite classic, aside from Roubaix, right? I mean, but to me, I think Flanders. If you're if you're in Belgium, you know, if you're from Belgium, you probably say Flanders is the biggest classic of the year. So with Flanders, I think it's got a longer parkour. So I think it's still right around 250k. I'd have to check for sure, but it's it's characterized by its cobbled climbs and particularly mm-hmm. the Paderberg, which is actually yep. done in loops. So they do have a circuit that goes up the Paderberg a couple times. Um, I think Greg Van Avermaet has made it his mission in his cycling career to win this race. He has gotten very close multiple times. I think he's going to be running really hot. Um, I think Quickstep has Zdenek Stebar in a really good position to, to put a really good move in as long as they can and lay out their team tactics correctly and maybe use Philippe Gilbert or Bob Youngles as their kind of backup man to kind of sit in. It seems like Quickstep does best when they put a man in that in that in like a, a late race breakaway. And then they have a second man in either the chase or the field to give some pressure to to relieve some pressure from that from that breakaway companion to have to work essentially. Mm-hmm. Like what well, that's what we saw in E three. Zinnix Bar just sat in the breakaway the entire time because he had two riders back in the field. I think this is the one that Peter Sagan wins. So Peter Sagan won this edition in twenty sixteen. He went solo off the front. Um, I believe. Oh, I, I can't remember. I want to say he went over the Paderberg, yeah. and that's where he initiated mm-hmm. his, his race-winning move. And then he was chased by Seth Van Mark and Fabian Cancellara, and he really powered away. Um, I think he had something special going on that year for sure. I I honestly don't know if Peter Sagan is going to win this race. I think he's not been having the greatest spring so far. I think it would be a, kind of a tall ask for him to win this race. I think um, this is why I think he might is okay. because – he has done pretty well, you know, at the last few classics, and he's taking, you know, probably taking this week to recover. So I think that the fitness that he's brought in from those previous races uh, is really going to catch up with him right now. Mm-hmm. And I think he's going to be in real good shape for Flanders, and that's why I think he, he, that could be his his first one of the year. So I, I definitely think it's a possibility, for sure. For sure. I mean, he's it's Peter Sagan, so like whenever he's in a bike race, there's a chance he's going to win it. So I think one important or one interesting question is, do you think Matthew Vanderpool or Wout Van Aert are going to make the winning move? I think and they might. they are, which one or both? I think they could make... I don't think they're going to make the winning move, but I think they're going to be in the second group, top 20 for both of them. We definitely have seen those two accelerate up the Paderberg plenty of times in cyclocross races mm-hmm. and be able to do it pretty well. I think this particular course, Flanders, favors Vanderpool a little bit more than Van Aert, possibly. Mm-hmm. 
I think they both managed to make the lead group in Gent Wevelgum, and they were there in the sprint. Uh, they were even there in the earlier breakaway too. So like they definitely have the power. I think it's going to be very interesting to see if one of those two riders, you know, especially, especially being younger riders that are you know well known, but not particularly watched. Maybe Van Aert more than Vanderpool. Interesting to see if they can kind of sneak into the right move and make it pretty far in the race. I think they're both. They both have the talent and the skill. I just think they lack that experience. I'd agree, and I think Flanders is a race that you don't get on your first time. Yeah. Like, if you look at the people that have won this race, they're not first-time racers. You know, they they do their recon, they understand where the splits happen, they're in the right position when you hit the cobbled climbs. I I definitely agree with that. Um, George Incappy said it best, where, you know, when you race this and you look to win it, it's not just knowing how to go up the, the Paderberg, it's knowing you can jump onto the sidewalk to make up a few spots. Or yeah. going around this turn, you have to avoid the inside because there's a giant pothole. You know, he, that's that's kind of the thing, is knowing those courses, like every single turn, every single meter, you, those guys know that course. And I think that's just what they lack. It's just that extra ounce of knowledge. Yeah, and, yeah, and if we look at the past few years and look at the winners of this race... It's all been guys that have raced this, you know, at least five times before they won it. Yeah. Right? They just, you're exactly right. They picked up that knowledge. They knew where they can move up, where they could preserve energy, and then really, like, hit the gas when it counts. All right. Well, I think that's all the racing that we have time for. And yeah. Coming in at 52 minutes, so all right. a little bit longer one today, but I thought it was a good one. We'll wrap it up for y'all. Um, yeah. Thanks for listening this time. If you want to give us a listen, uh, you can find us on iTunes or Stitcher for your Android or iOS devices. Uh, you know, hit subscribe, get our episodes downloaded to your whatever device you're listening to them on. We would love if you could re- leave a review too. Um, you know, just leave us a review. Let us know what we can do better, right? Yep. Go uh, give us a like or a follow on Facebook. That's where we always update when these episodes come out. So if you want to know when they come out, Go check that out. Yep. Uh, besides that, we're on Instagram as well, by Grace Weekly. Uh, anything else? I think that's everything, Ryan. All right. Well, uh, thanks, everyone, for listening, and we will be back next week. Bye.